0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Peter Margaritas. He is the author of Off Script, Mastering the Art of Business Improv. Peter, great to have you with us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. I'm in. <laughs> so <laughs> I I read that you wrote this book at the height of COVID. Is, is that true? Was COVID the impetus for this book, or were you planning this way before the pandemic?
1: I had planned on writing another book, my third book, uh, to coincide with my first book, Improv is No Joke. But I hadn't really planned it during the during the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, those first two or three months, I, I was redoing retooling my business because I lost a lot of uh, speaking engagements. And once I got everything tooled in aligned, and I, I, I also developed a, a, a virtual improv workshop during this period of time, then August came and I had nothing to work on. So August of 2020, I went, well, you know, I've been wanting to write this book. And that's what started it. I, I ran out of things on my to-do list to do.
0: <laughs> Got it. Well, this is how long did it take you to write this? I mean, this is so comprehensive. You really go into the nitty-gritty of all aspects of improv.
1: This this took from start to finish fourteen months. Which which? But I had a lot of time. I had a lot more free time than I normally would have to to uh, write this type of book.
0: Absolutely. So I guess, first things first, why are you so drawn to improv? You mentioned, you know, you, you have other books. This is your third book that involved right. improv. So, so tell us about your interest in it.
1: Well, back when I was in grad school, uh, I, I was doing stand-up comedy. And quite frankly, I wasn't that good. If I was, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, probably. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we, 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 so, but, but through that, a friend of mine said, you might be interested in improv as well. And I, we have this, I have this workshop. So I attended this workshop and I was confused at first. I thought we were going to be writing comedy, but they were doing these whacked out kind of exercises. And I was about ready to say, you know what, I'm not coming back. When the instructor said, okay guys, next week I want you to research everything as it relates to the seventies. Oh, I must've missed a homework assignment. Nobody told me it was a homework assignment. So I came back that next week. I did the homework and all of a sudden I'm funny. And I went, well, wait a minute. I'm not writing premise, punchline, tag. This was really different. I'm drawing upon knowledge, experience, background, and able to, to apply it in this environment and made people laugh. And I went, and then part of an aha moment, wait a minute, this is, this is more than being funny. This is a leadership tool. Oh, of course it's Scooby-Doo. And I, you know what? And ever since then, I have, I fell in love with improv way back then. I've been in love with it ever since. It has changed my life. It has changed my business. It has changed my way of being. And to my family, they ask me sometimes, who are you? You're not that same person you were 10, 15 years ago. You have really evolved differently. And I equate it all to my, my 20 plus years of studying, applying, and, and using uh, these improv foundations to change the way I view the world, to change the way I view the business, to help others realize it's not about being funny. It's a leadership tool.
0: Right. So, yeah, tell us more about that because you say it's a leadership philosophy, improv. So why is improv so important for, for big leaders?
1: Well, in the book, I write about the seven foundations of improv. And it starts off with a solid foundation of respect, trust, and support. I don't have to like you, but I should have respect for you. And and right now, I I use this example. What do you call a situation where neither side has respect for each other? A U.S. political system. For the most part, you know, it's my way or the highway. So as long as you have that respect, as long as you trust the people that you work with, and they trust you, and you've developed that trust and, and continually grow it, and as long as you as the leader are supporting your team with the tools and skills necessary. Those who have those three pieces, you can build anything upon that. So as long as those three are there, if one's missing, it's all crumbles. If two's missing, it crumbles. So all three must be in place. From that, now we have the ability to listen, but listen to understand, not listening to respond, all the while maintaining our focus and being in the moment, not being distracted, because if we do those five things and we do them strategically, we can adapt to anything that is brought in front of us. However, there's one missing piece, which is the clue that holds it all together. And it's the two magic words yes and. Yes and is about agreement, but not always agreeing. Yes and is about empathy. Yes and is about collaboration. Yes and is about leaving your ego behind and making it about your team. Or you can visualize it this way. The ultimate yes, and we all experience it every single day, that ultimate yes is a sunrise. as that sun's coming up. We we cannot survive without the energy, without the sun. The sun fuels us. If we think about it, that that is the ultimate yes. And we're gonna go to the beach. Let's go to the beach. What are we going to take to the beach? We're going to take towels, umbrellas, coolers full of all kinds of good food and and drink and and suntan lotion. But we get to the beach, sun is nature and we can't control nature. Something will happen. Now, if we equate that to business, human nature, otherwise known as simplistic terms, people, we are unpredictable at times. And I've said this for most of my career: the business that we all are in are in the people business first and foremost. Without people, we have no business. So that's all of this ties in together as a leadership tool. Leaders need to listen more than they speak. Leaders need to park egos. Leaders need to be part of the team. Have the team come first, and, and, and we don't. But. Eagle leadership still exists in, in our country today, and, and we're, seeing, we're seeing some of the, the, the side effects of it as we're seeing the great resignation, as people refer to it.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess what, I, what I'm curious about is, you know, give, tell us about your experience. You know, where did you see the gap where you said to yourself, you know, improv really needs to be applied to organizations and business leaders? I guess, is it, you know, what, what were they doing wrong? What were they not doing that this book is trying to, to quote unquote, fill those gaps?
1: Well, In my years of being in corporate America, uh, I was felt, as many of you, felt like we were just a number. We were replaceable. We, we, we weren't, you know, we, we say people are our greatest asset, but we don't treat them as our greatest asset. Um, there was a, a boss I had back in the day at Victoria's Secret Catalog. I was not a model, but thank you for thinking about that.
0: Thanks for clarifying.
1: <laughs> exactly. I can't. So I had this huge mistake in one of my Excel spreadsheets. And, and it was to the tune of almost seven figures. And I had to go tell my boss about this. And my boss had this kind of uh, um, aura about her that she would rather chew you up and spit you out. So I went in and, and, and said, we need to talk. So said, okay, what about? And I told her about my error. And I was waiting for her to lose her mind. And she didn't. And she said these words, well, what's your solution? Solution. Uh, then she went all Tasmanian devil on me. But she said this to me afterwards. And it's the only person I ever reported to who's ever said this to me. Says, Pete, I expect that you're going to make mistakes because you're a human being. What? probably a human being? Exactly. However, when you make a mistake, you better come in here with a solution. I'll get you out of my office, come back, and out with the solution. I came back. Was it was it the right solution? No, not even close. But it led us to the conversation of finding that solution. And that was, and then every other boss, every other person I report to after that never had that same type of aura about themselves. It was just it was more of we couldn't make mistakes. We couldn't fail, because it's punitive, but wait. We learn when we fail. And, and that's what improv is, is a collaborative environment that creates psychological safety, which means you could say something that's kind of kind of whacked out, kind of crazy, but you're not gonna be punished for it. You may make a mistake, you're not gonna be punished for it. You may make a big mistake, you're not gonna be punished for it. We'll give you the ability to communicate in the manner that you see fit that brings in your personality and your style and nobody's gonna go, oh my God. Well, I would hear, oh, here comes Pete. Wonder what are he's gonna say this time. You, it's not an environment people wanna work in. We wanna work in an environment that's collaborative, that's, that's fun, that we can grow in and that's what improv leadership brings. C-Suite Radio.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And I read also, you know, you, you have a CPA background, right?
1: Okay, <laughs> <Guilty>, don't <laughs> hold that against me. I am the, I am the accidental accountant.
0: Yes, what, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> well, I had a boss uh, once tell me during a performance review, how in the heck did you ever become a CPA? CPA can get right down to all that detail. I can only get you about half while you're an accidental accountant. Oh. And I said, thank you. That's the nicest thing you said to me all year. <laughs> which meant I wasn't great at the detail, but what she didn't really understand was I recognized early on that there's a stereotype about a CPA and, and within the organization, someone from the accounting department shows it up to sales. They're going, Oh, Oh, they're going to come and tell us. No, that stereotype. So I would spend my time networking throughout the building, getting to know other departments and other people. So they would look at me as Pete, not that guy from accounting, and I can get a lot more information from them, right? So, right. Yes. Yeah. So, but um, but I, don't ask me to do your taxes. I won't give tax advice because somebody's <laughs> going to jail, and it's not going to be me. That's another. That's another episode.
0: Yeah, I was reading some of the quotes um, at the top of the book. I think it was uh, someone at the White Castle company said, "You're the funniest yes. accountant since Bob Newhart."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's my buddy Jamie. Uh, I've I've known him. He's VP uh, for White Castle Systems. Um, somebody asked me, Pete, what's your why? My why is I love, love, love making people laugh. But it's got this power to the laughter. One, it helps with remembering. It helps with, you know, I, I've taught at the university level, and I made accounting fun. Students remembered. Students and it also has an impact uh, on, on the culture of an organization. Now, I take business very seriously. I don't take myself maybe that seriously. I take business very seriously and and I want to have fun. And people like to work in places that are fun, but I mean, i fun with a focus and a mission and and clarity.
0: Peter, can you give us any real life examples, successful leaders um, who are masters of improv, you know, from history or or current times?
1: Um, There's a gentleman you might know or have heard of. His name is Martin Luther King. And uh, on the night before his big speech in Washington back in 1968, he and his inner circle were working on this speech. It's supposed to be seven minutes. It turned out to be 16. And he wanted this thing to have the power of the Gettysburg Address. And as they're meticulously going through this script that was created, we got to about the the second, the last third of of the speech and one of his, I think his name was William Wyatt, said, Let's pull this piece out. This I had the dream stuff. We've been doing it for a while. Let's write something new and put it in here. And everybody acquiesced, everybody agreed. So, as Martin Luther, and if you watch the video, he's the first two thirds, you can see he's clearly reading his speech, but he gets to this point where the words aren't resonating. He's reading the audience and not getting the, the, the response he was hoping for from the audience. He pauses, and the gospel singer that day was a woman by name, Michalia Jackson. And it's been written that she said, Tell me about your dream, Martin. Now, I can't find anywhere where he actually heard it, but people around him heard it. And he stopped, pushed his prepared remarks to the side, and went into the I Have the Dream speech. Now, it wasn't as prepared, Marks, um, but he knew it. He was able to go off script, bring that into his speech. And by the way, that speech, the original title of that speech was Normalcy, Never Again. However, we refer to it now as the I Have the Dream speech.
0: Wow, isn't that something? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The ultimate real-life example.
1: Yes, um, of uh, when I first... Uncovered that in an article in Forbes. Oh, okay. Well, wait, wait a minute. I got to go start digging to make sure this is valid. And everywhere I, t- it's been it's been written so many times out there, but it's the best kept world's best kept secret, nobody's let that secret out uh, until now. I hope uh, that he was improvising, and, and and that there's a deeper story at, at another time on, on how he even got to that point, of the ability to go off script.
0: Yeah. It's all about reading, reading your audience, as you say.
1: It's all about reading your audience. Exactly.
0: So is this just for like the C-suite or is this for ever, anybody and everybody in an organization?
1: Anybody who wants to be a leader, who, who wants to inspire, motivate, who wants to grow businesses, it's for them.
0: Because, you know, you really in the second, the second part of the book is called the day to day realities of improv at work. And I was curious, you know, how how you figured that out. You know, The main question is, OK, well, how do you implement these techniques and can anybody do it? You know, what do you say to the person who's an introvert who likes to say on script and on point and, and who prepares everything?
1: Well, I, the one thing I, I want to that person, I would go, it's not about you. If you're in a meeting and you're presenting something or you're doing a presentation, it's not about you. You, As long as you've prepared and over prepared and you're, your knowledge were ready, but you have to read the audience. And this is the big piece. People quit reading the audience. Oh, they read it and they go, no, I'm sticking to my script. This is what they gave me. I, I'm not a podium speaker. And, and I was the chair of the Ohio Society of CPAs Executive Board. And in our annual meeting, they had scripted me 18 ways from Saturday. <laughs> and and, and I, I brushed over it just a little bit. Basically, they wanted me to read this thing. And at one point, within like a couple minutes of me doing that, all of a sudden, the paper looked white. I didn't see any words. So I just stepped away from the podium, put my arm over there, and started to speak from my heart. And I looked over at the CEO, and he had this look on his face and said, hey, you can't fire me because this is my last day. And then I got back to speaking from my heart First, speaking from my remember, I, I, I script or just sitting there reading.
0: So, Peter, the book is really comprehensive. Um, you know, In the first part, you talk about the case for improv, why it's important, but then you talk about implementing it, which was my kind of question mark how, how do you implement this in big organizational cultures um you know for big for successful for for great leaders um final thought is there going to be another book I mean what what comes next do you do you plan another book or is it do you is it just kind of happen related to this idea of improv
1: well I I'll I will start by saying yes and there will be another book I have not quite planned it out it could be from stories that I'm able to accumulate from my audience that reads off script they submit these stories to me uh, could collaborate that into a you know, part two of business improvisation and if that doesn't happen, I will start thinking about the next book uh, this is November of 2021 It'll be about spring of 2022 start thinking okay what else do I want to write about and it will have some my second book, has aspects of business improv in it and and that one's called taking the numb out of numbers which you would think where's the but it's it's all about reading that audience and storytelling and that's what improv is also captivating the minds of your audience
0: right well congratulations on book number three uh we can't wait to see what comes next (laughs) as you continue (laughs) to go off script And if you'd like more information on the book, just check out our website. It's c-sweetbookclub.com. That's c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV.
1: Like what you just heard, visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.